Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Open our eyes and our ears to the wonderful, beautiful things that you want to teach us today. We give you thanks because you are the one, as Rafi said, the, the light of the world that illuminates your words in the hearts of men that seek your face. Glorify and praise you in Yahushua's name. Amen. Okay. Man, what a, what a chapter. Um, I want to welcome everybody that's online, everyone that's here. Thank you for being a part of our fellowship. I do want to say a quick prayer. Father, we pray for the nation of Israel as they are still um, undergoing battle and trying to remove the enemy from their face. Father, be with them. Be with the hostages. They're still enduring harsh treatment and all kinds of things as words coming out of the things that they're enduring. And also, Father, we pray for all those who have families, have lost family members. We pray for the inhabitants of the, Palest of the Palestinians in Gaza, for those that are getting hurt through this conflict. We lift up all those that, Father, people would ultimately turn to you, and that, Father, they would seek your face, that they would know that you are the one true God, and that you have sent your son, Messiah Yahushua, to be their Mashiach. We give you praise and glory in Yahushua's name. Amen. So, what are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about... Um, main theme is we're going we're gonna, to uh, tie to last week's message, message, message about the threshold. So we're going to talk about the threshold that we talked about last week is we're going to tie it in to something this week. Donnie guessed what it was earlier and so it's very, very interesting and it's, it's something from our profit portion. I'm going to keep it a secret until we get to the spot, but uh, it's an amazing thing how God shows us about him and his kingdom, so let's dig in. We're going to use the, the Torah portion to talk about, uh, let you guys do some deroshing in that, but I've left that open for you guys to do that uh, in this Torah portion. So we'll kick off in verse 5, and he spoke with Korah and all the congregations saying in the morning, Yahweh will make known, and I'm reading from Targum, all of these are from the Targum. Make known who is fit and holy for him. So how many of you have ever been a part of a, whether it's at work or whether it's at uh, a congregation where somebody rose up, they gathered a bunch of people with them, and they said, you know what, the leader or somebody in leadership, they're just da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and they stir up everybody to now think, oh, well, he must be telling the truth. No one's ever brought forward any witnesses. No one's brought forward any testimonies, as the Word says. Everybody believes the person who is very outspoken and very, very, let's say, evangelical in his presentation, swaying everybody to believing what he's saying, and they all buy into it, and they all come and join with him in this, takedown of the person and ruining their name and credibility 
all this stuff, their name is diminished. How many of you have ever been a part of anything like that or seen it? Pretty crazy, isn't it? So what's amazing to me is that after what happens to Korah, there's, there's people still there. And we're talking, the scripture says, if God does something that's never been heard of before, I mean, they're going to see something that's never been seen before, and they're still going to rise up against Moses and Aaron again. But he says, I'm going to show you who is fit and holy, and that person will draw near to God. Now, this word draw near is the word karav, which we find in Ezekiel 37, when God says, take the two sticks, Judah and Joseph, and karav them, draw them to one another. So this individual is going to be drawn near close to God. That's what the Korban offering does is you, you draw near with the Korban offering and he will serve him. So, and if you have questions or comments, raise your hand. I'm just going to bring these up in case you want to mention anything about some of the text. Is it too little for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation? I mean, you're, it's like saying, you may not be, I like what Alfonso's translation said, everybody wants to be the kahuna. Everybody wants to be, right? Everybody wants to be the big kahuna. That's the Hebrew word for priesthood, right? They want to be the big kahuna. They're not satisfied with being the one in charge of carrying the vessels or carrying the curtains or carrying all this. They're not satisfied with being set apart from all the others of the assembly in doing that part. They want to be even further set apart. And really it's about being exalted into a, what they are considering a higher position. And I bet if you would ask Moses, he would say, Man, if you want this job, you can certainly have it. You want this job, you can certainly have it. But you know, God's not through with Moses. God doesn't want those people. And he doesn't want hearts that are not satisfied with what they've been portioned with. Now, we are a people that have been enlightened beyond measure in our understanding, in our mind of God's ways. We thought one way, and then God showed us in his word a, another way. And we have been, our minds have just been on fast track into understanding his kingdom. How blessed are we to be those people who have been able to have that kind of fellowship with the creator of heaven and earth, to be able to come that close to having that friendship and fellowship, communion with him in that way. And these men, doing what they did, didn't quite seem satisfied. I bet you guys know people like that. I bet you know people like that. So he says, so he brought you near, all your brothers. But you want to seek the big kahuna, huh? Then you and all your congregation, you have assembled against who? They think they're assembling against Moses, but they're assembling against Yodevavhe. Huh? Now, let's just use Mike, for example. 
Mike teaches. Yeah, you. <laughs> I told you some of you are going to be called on for special talents and gifts. And, and, and <laughs> no, I'm teasing. So Mike has been appointed as teaching on Tuesdays. That's an appointment. If you think that me or Ralphie or the rest of the leadership, we're the ones that did it. No, we're following what the Almighty has told us to do. We're seeking him, and he's making it known to us who should come and teach. So that man is an appointed individual by God, not by me. And so if anybody rose up against Mike because something they didn't like about Tuesday, they're not rising up against Mike. They're rising up against God Almighty. And that's a scary place to be. We have a hand up over here. Well, I'm thankful you didn't say anything bad about Mike because I was getting ready to get up and move away from, <laughs> move away from his tent. Uh, whew, that was... So this is interesting because, and, and I know we've talked about this before, that we're talking about a set-apart people yes. with set-apart classes among the Levites, and they all are set-apart. Yep. And yet their walk was not one of being set-apart and humble. And it reminded, I think the, uh, it reminded me Micah 6.8, where it says, He has declared to you, O man, what is good. And what does yod heh vah require of you but to do right? To love loving commitment, to walk humbly with your Elohim. So sometimes we can get an appointment and not walk humbly. And we can rise up and think that we are more than what our appointment is. Amen. And, and, and so whether it's the entire group of people or those who have a responsibility or a leadership, uh, we should never, ever forget that this set-apart group was swallowed up, they were plagued, and they, they were no longer acting as set-apart people because of a lack of humility. And they became an example for us. But you know what? Even though they were example for the congregation that they were amongst, and the congregation didn't take heed. They rose up again moments later against Aaron and Moses. God wants us to take note and heed what this example is about. So that, as you say, we stay a humble people and be thankful for the place that we are at in the kingdom. Thank, I am thankful enough just to be able to hear and understand the living words of the living God. That is so amazing. Yes. And while we're talking about uh, being dissatisfied with what you got in life, it's like having a spoiled child. It's like they want more, and they're kicking, they're, they're kicking the air, I'm being fussy, and they, they, just, they want more, and you're telling them, no, you can't, you can't have any more candy, and they're like, I want more candy! <laughs> You exactly gotta teach. Right. You gotta teach them to be satisfied with what they got. You know. I hear that a lot. Amen. <laughs> this also reminds me of something we go over with our children every Erev Shabbat at our dinner table: is the command to honor your father and mother, 
has a greater meaning. Those are words that have a depth of meaning behind them, which is a phrase that means honor those that have been placed in authority over you because all authority has been established by the Most High. I want to share something with you. How many of you noticed that Friday night, you're at home, you're getting ready to enter in the Shabbat. It's just, just this, this time is transitioning from daylight to darkness. You're getting ready to start honoring the Shabbat. And something will come up to want to try to disrupt that peace. And as men and women, we have got to remember that and we've got to pay attention. We've got to guard that peace, that shalom that we're about to enter into. We're about to enter into the rest. We've got to guard that and, and stand in readiness, stand in, in watch, watchful eyes. What's happening here is Korah and his men are disrupting the shalom of the camp. They are causing a big scene, a big problem that is it's unfounded. They're, they're coming against a man who is righteous, a man who is holy, and it's not just testimony. It's just not. So much so that God Almighty shows how unjust what they have said it really is. Okay. They've assembled against God Almighty. It says, you have not even brought us into the land of milk, producing milk and honey. This is the, this is the very thing that people want to lay claim against Yeshua, that he's not the Mashiach. Oh, he didn't gather the exiles. Oh, he didn't, uh, he didn't uh, uh, defeat the enemy. If you hear that, remember this. Are the exiles being gathered? Yeah. Yes, they are. We're coming to Torah. That's gathering the exiles. Was an enemy defeated by him at his death? Yes. Death was defeated. Death was the enemy. It's, it says in the New Testament that it was the enmity that he did away with. That was what was hostile against us. Here, and then we'll go over here. So looking at that part where it says, you have not even brought us into land of... The fact that they're even complaining about it shows that they don't have the spiritual maturity to appreciate what it is the Father is doing. It shows that they are not prepared yet to even enter the promised land. Because up to this point, if we, um, if we um, recall what they witnessed and experienced up to that point, the, 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 the 10 plagues, bringing them up out, out, out of Egypt, being at the shore of the Red Sea, witnessing the Egyptians come after them, and then the father parting the sea right before their eyes. And it's just like, father, like how, like, like who am I to criticize? Because I've had faults and there's been times when I've doubted. But when you're right there witnessing with your own eyeballs <laughs> what the father is doing. Yeah. And it's like, how do you, how do you, how do you not? And you're, you're in the wilderness complaint. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe that's exactly why the Father did not allow them to get into the promised land, because they were walking in doubt, even after everything they saw. Like, I just, it does not compute to me. And it's hard to believe 
that people like us that have come to know the Torah, when the, when the greater exodus happens, because rebels will be expelled again, that people that know the Torah are going to do these very things. I will say to, like I said, going back to that part where the complaining, it just goes to show that they don't have yet the spiritual maturity yeah. to trust what the Father is showing them. Because when we're walking and trusting the Father, whatever it is that he's promised you, there's, there's going to be seasons when your trust in him is going to be tested. And there's going to be times when what the Father has told you is going to contradict what you see in front of you. And then you have to ask the question, am I going to trust the circumstances in front of me or am I going to trust what my Father has told me? Amen. And you're going to have to come to the point where, because it's, it's hard. It's hard from, a, from our limited human perspective. It's very easy to get distracted by what you see in front of you when what you see in front of you contradicts what the Father told you. But then we have to grow in that and learn to surrender to him and trust that he's already got it figured out. Amen. He's already got that laid Amen. out. Amen. You, don't have to, you don't have to rummage in your mind trying to figure out how he's going to do things because he already sees it. Yep. And it's because the scripture says that his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. Yes. He sees past, present, and future all at once. He has a bird's eye view. We don't. Amen. So we have to learn to trust him even in the midst of those difficult circumstances that he's got this figured out and we have to continue following that pillar by the pillar fire by day Amen. and the cloud by night. And that's hard to do, especially from our limited human perspective. I get that. But there has to come a time where we choose to trust the Father over our circumstances when we know what he said. Yep. Yes. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with the young lady said without faith it's impossible to please the most high and um, it's through that faith we don't recognize sometimes why we're going through certain things so um, it's up to him and his will for us to move forward towards what he said I'm just going to read this in Corinthians um, because we allow our pride, and that's the thing that is killing us, is our pride won't let us do what God said because we think we know better, and that came from Satan. So um, it says for, and this is uh, first or 2 Corinthians 11, 13, for such are false emissaries, deceptive workers masquerading at, as emissaries of the Messiah, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as a messenger of light. Similar to what's going on in this camp here. Um, these people are masquerading as these, you know, I'm, I know more than Moses. Well, God, he swallowed them up, right? Okay, and then to go along with what she said, that generation of uh, disobedient children had to die off before anybody could see the promised land. Right. So we have to make sure that we're all on one accord, humbling ourselves as dear children like the Father told us. Not kicking and screaming like this young man just said, and complaining, oh man, we, we had a good in Egypt. I, I, I don't like this man anymore. I want yeah. some lamb. Yeah. Do you want to eat? I mean, because you yeah. could be starving. So we have to um, definitely make sure we are thanking the Father, even for the trials that we go through. It says glory and tribulation, right? Yep. 
All right. they, they don't even want lamb anymore. They want brisket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Barbecued brisket. <laughs> yes. Uh, going back on that pride thing, if the if if you if you have pride in anything, it should be in God, because He's the one that could do everything. People are just so confident in technology and weaponry, but it's it's nothing but the void. And the, and that and the void is nothing. It's nothing but nothing. So why have the confidence in all of this materialistic stuff when there's when there's someone up there in heaven that created Amen. you and you should have confidence Amen. in him instead? Amen. Well said. Good. Okay. Then each took his censer, put fire in it, spices, stood at the gate, core assembled against them at the gate. Remember what happens at the gate. Gate is when all legal transactions are done. This is when legal matters are handled. God's about to handle a legal issue here at the gate of the tent of meeting. And Yahu the glory of Yahweh was revealed to all the congregation. He says, get away from those folks right there. I'm about to bust them up. <laughs> those people are going to really get messed up good. So the God, the God of spirits of all flesh, if one man sins, will there be anger against the whole congregation? Moshe pleads. And he says, Moshe said, by this you will know that Yahweh has sent me to do all these deeds, that they were not from my will. If these should die like the death of mankind, the fate of all mankind should be visited on them, then Yahweh has not sent me. I want you to notice about this. This is one of those instances I notice that God is just itching to get going. You could tell he's like, hurry up, Moses, man. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to let it go. I'm about ready to fire some fire out from heaven. I'm ready. Hurry up. get go. As soon as the last word leaves his lip, boom, it happens. And I love those kind of moments. God's looking for someone to speak the words that he would be speaking, speaking those words, and he says, just declare it, Moses. Just say it, and I'm going to do it. Just say it. And man, they got to see something that mankind had never seen before. Now, we're supposed to see things greater than this in the second exodus. I don't, I don't know. That's pretty, that's pretty big. That's pretty, pretty big time to see the earth's that's movie stuff, right? But it really happened. So, you will know that these men have provoked, not Moses, but God. And the earth opened up his mouth, swallowed them. Not just them, but their possessions, the animals, tents, pegs, all of it. There wasn't a trace on the earth of these people even existed. Wiped them out clean. Just like a, a fire... One of those, Ward talks about these fire bursts that are 3,000 degrees that burns everything. It just consumes it all, just ash. They're gone. All of Israel that was around them fled, cried out, let's get out of here before we get swallowed up. And it consumed also the 250 men who were bringing near the incense of spices. Ooh. Now, we're talking about, yeah, get the picture. The earth opens up. These men are being swallowed. Everyone else is running as fast as they get away. And fire's coming down. 
and burning the men that are running, that are carrying the incenses, the, 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 the uh, um, fire pans, burning them up. How many of you know what happens to the fire pans? What happens to the fi 250 fire pans? Huh? Where did they put them? By the altar. That's right. Ooh, that's a memorial. It becomes a remembrance of what happened. All that becomes the new covering of the bronze altar. Man, what a, what a, what a remembrance of what happened. Every time you look at it as a priesthood, you're looking right at what happened to the brothers. Not good. That's a, that's a memory, a memorial. So I want to go to our New Testament portion. If, go, well, we have a hand up before we go. Yes. Did you have your hand up? It looked like it. Uh, okay. Yeah. I forgot to ask this. There was uh, when uh, when Mr. Alfonso was reading the scripture, there was this section where these 250 men were burning incense, and when they died, everyone like smushed them in their plates or something and covered the ark of the tent. Everybody what, smushed what they, them in their place? No, like plates or something. What what did they do to them? I'm confused. I didn't get that part. When what happened to the two? Oh, okay. I was like, there okay. I was confused. I was like, no, they, there's no way they smashed the men. I was, yeah, I was confused. <laughs> there's some smashing going on, all right. <laughs> so I want to move to our New Testament portion. We're going to come back to the uh, prophets and the Torah here in a little bit, but our New Testament portion, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And it says, Remember Yahushua Messiah, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. Hallelujah. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of these who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Yahushua Messiah and with it eternal glory. Those are called eklotoi who are destined for salvation but have not yet been brought to it. 2 Timothy 2.10 Going on in 2 Timothy 2, it says, Remind them of these things. Solemnly charge them in the presence of Elohim, not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. You know, it's very possible that what was happening in Korah's camp is they were wrangling about things. They were, they were talking about things that were of no good. They were talking about things that were bringing up... Uh, uh, words against Moses, and it wasn't good. You know, all it takes is one. And the other guy goes, you know what, come to think of it, I was actually kind of thinking, I didn't want to say it, but I was thinking that same thing. And, you know, it's very possibly right. Then another guy goes, you know, I'm glad two of you now jumped in. I feel better about jumping in. Next thing you know, everyone's starting to jump in in Korah's cameras. They're like, well, if, if two or three or four are now jumping in, it must be right. I'm going to get in on it. Be careful about running to the mass into destruction and into their deceit, into their folly. Be careful. I want to turn to our prophet portion, which is where we're going to spend quite a bit of time at, and it's in 1 Samuel chapter 12. And here's where we're going to make a connection to our threshold covenant that we talked about last week. 1 Samuel 12, 10 says, Then they cried out before Yahuwah and said, We have sinned, for we have abandoned the worship of Yahuwah. I'm reading out of the Targums. 
and have served the Baals and the Asherahs, and now deliver us from the hand of our enemies that we might worship before you. Now, I'm going to bring this up because what is worship? Philo in Laws 1, 345 says, but we are, but we who are the followers and disciples of the prophet Moshe will never abandon our investigation into the nature of the true Elohim, looking upon the knowledge of him as the true end of happiness, and thinking that we true, or that, thinking that the true everlasting life, as the Torah says, is to live in obedience to and worship of God. This is worship. Because remember, he tells them in Egypt, he says, let them go that they might come into the wilderness and what? Worship me. What do they do in the worship? They're obeying by sacrificing animals. So obedience is worship. Praise is worship. Your obedience is worship to the Most High. Did someone put on the chat that the, your obedience is the glory? Did, someone, did I read that? Did somebody put that in somewhere? So in which precept it gives us a most important and philosophical lesson. For in real truth, those who are atheists are dead as to their souls. But those who are marshaled in the ranks of the true living God as his servants enjoy an everlasting life. So my point here in 1 Samuel 12.10 is that there's a group of people who, who have stopped worshiping God. They're worshiping the Baals and the Asherah, much of what's been going on today. They've stopped worshiping God, and they're worshiping something else. Now, something very, very huge happens here in 1 Samuel 12. We're going to get to that next. And it says, Then Yahuwah sent Gideon, sent Samson, sent Jephthah, Samuel, and he delivered you guys from the hand of your enemies all around about you, and you dwelt in security. But when you saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, had come against you, then you said to me, No, but a king should rule over us. But the Lord your God is your king. If you should fear from before Yahweh and serve him, and receive his memra, and do not rebel against the memra of Yahuwah, but follow him eagerly, then even you, even the king who should rule over you, will be after the worship of the Lord your God. Obeying the word is the worship of the Lord your God. What happens here is, is these men say, you know what, this guy Nahash, he's coming up against us, and we don't want God Almighty to be our king anymore. We want an earthly king. My question is, why? Why did this happen with this man? Why did this happen with Nahash? Let's look. Nahash, a name that means serpent, is shared by possibly as many as four Ammonite individuals. However, it could also be the name of only one king. The most well-known mention of Nahash is in reference to the king of Ammonites, he threatened Israel before Saul was king. In fact, the fear of Nahash is the one of the reasons that Israel demanded a king. He and his army attacked Jabesh Gilead, east of the Jordan, and besieged the city. Forcing them to beg for surrender, Nahash told the citizens that they had the choice between death 
or by the sword and having their eyes gouged out. Now, I don't know about you, but anything gets close to my eyes. I mean, I'm, I'm jerking back. I'm, I'm very sensitive about my eyes. Very sensitive. And this man whose name means serpent has done something that now has reached their ears. Oh my gosh, this guy doesn't just stick you with the sword. He's going to have you gouge your eyes out. He did all, he's done all this horrible, horrific things to people. He's, he, he, he has no mercy. He has, he has no thought or concern about man, woman, or child. He's vicious and cruel, and it doesn't matter what he does. We better get us a, an earthly king. We need someone that can take care of it. And boy, this is a big mistake. According to Josephus, these cruel terms of surrender were the usual practice for him. Nahash gave the city seven days to decide. Jabesh Gilead reached out to the rest of the people of Israel for help. Their plea traveled throughout the land. And Saul, a herdsman at the time, responded by raising an army that decisively defeated Nahash and the Ammonites at Bezek. So they see that a man of Israel, a human man, has risen up and has defeated this guy that they were terrified completely of. And they say, we want an earthly king, somebody that can do something like that. No trust in God Almighty. No remembrance of what he's done in the past. No remembrance of what he's done through the men that he spoke of. Sam, Samson, Samuel, uh, all of these guys. No, no thought of what's happened in the past. They're only concerned about now, and it's about me, me, me right now. Me, 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 me right now. It's like blinders are on. It's like the memory loss of everything in the past. So a more complete explanation for Nahash's actions was discovered in the Dead Sea Scrolls. An additional paragraph in 1 Samuel 11 says that Nahash conquered the tribal lands of Gad and Reuben, gouging out the right eye of all but 7,000 men who fled to Jabesh Gilead. So this is documented facts, documented stuff. So this is the Nahash of our prophet portion. So they're asking for this king, afraid of this guy. Instead, listen to me, instead of returning to Gilgal to the place of the threshold. Instead of returning to Gilgal, where the place of the Memra, the living waters, the living fountains, instead of returning to this place, to the threshold of God, where the blessings come, where the help comes from, they look to man. Is this where we're going to be going the rest of the evening, or the rest of this message? Verse 15. But if you will not receive the memory of Yahuwah, but rebel against the memory of Yahuwah, then the stroke of Yahuwah will be against you, just as it was against your fathers. Even now, station yourselves and see this great thing that Yahuwah is doing before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? Where are we at in the year? Huh? Shavuot, right? Pentecost, Shavuot. So this is all happening at Shavuot. Why is this important? Because here's the deal. So God comes down at Shavuot to be the king of Israel, to take them as the bride. We see Saul is anointed as king on Shavuot. 
And when does the rejection happen? Shavuot. All of this stuff about kingship is happening at Shavuot. It's the, the middle of the seven candles. It's the Shamash servant candle. It's the middle of, you got the three on one side, the three on the other. It's this middle that this debate, this, this resistance, this rejection of the king, when he became king that day, the nation rejects him on that day. So I'm going to ask you a question. You know that the scriptures oftentimes repeat, happen again. Is it possible that we'll see a rejection happen on Shavuot? I mean, the Holy Spirit came on Shavuot, a gift from above, and yet here they are rejecting the king on Shavuot. Very interesting. I know the wheat's going to be gathered on Shavuot, that's for sure. So he says, I will pray before Yahweh, and he will give thunder and rain that you might know and see that your evil that you have done before Yahweh is in asking a king for yourselves. So Samuel prayed. So my question is, what's so amazing about this rain? Why is this rain that Samuel is praying for, why are the people amazed? And why did the people fear greatly? Because the rain came. Because it's not the early or the latter rain time. It's a time of the year that rain almost never falls in Jerusalem. And a miracle happened. Samuel prays for rain, and rain comes at a time that it just doesn't happen. It'd be like us here having a haboob right now in the middle of December. I mean, how many of you have seen one? It almost never happens, right? Big old dust storm come in and blacken out the sky. It only happens over in July and August, right? A miracle. Something just out of the blue happened. It's of God. This stuff doesn't happen. Paying attention to these key little bits of information in the text is very important as we read. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants before Yahweh, your God, that we do not die. For we have added to all of our great sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. And Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have caused all this evil, but do not turn aside from after the worship of Yahweh. Don't turn aside from following the word and obeying him. So serve before Yahweh with all your heart. Just as always, God's asking for those who have it on their heart that are willing to come with their heart and be committed totally. He says, don't turn to the left or the right. Now, Rafi talked about the way in his message in the in-depth study. And if you look at the floor, you see these little, these little rows of wood, right? It's a path. And this path is a way. He says, don't deviate to the right or left of that path. Stay on the true path that God has given you, the path of truth and righteousness. Don't serve the idols. For Yahweh will not reject his people. Hmm. He didn't say Yahweh will not punish his people. You see, when the southern kingdom got taken into captivity to Babylon, that was punishment. Had he rejected them? No, because he brought them back. He reached out, grabbed them, and brought them back from Babylon, back to the land, and they reestablished the temple again. 
So there was no rejection, but there was consequences and punishment for what they had done. Yes. Hi, Mark. Hello. Thinking about present-day Israel, do you know what they've done? They're starting to wear tzitzis. But the army, yep. they were there's singing amazed and, yep, that yep. they're starting to do that. They're starting to broadcast the Shema twice a day over loudspeakers, right? in the battlefield, it's sort of like with the Muslims, they, they broadcast the call to prayer, but now Israel is doing it. It is turning to the Lord. It's yep. just amazing, and they're talking about miracles that happen. Yep. This is what God wants to see. This is what we want. We want to see people wholeheartedly turn to God. doesn't matter who it is. We want to see people wholeheartedly turn to God in service, worship, and obedience. Yes, back in the back. So since this is the time of Hanukkah, in Maccabees, 2 Maccabees 6, to what our sister was just alluding to, it says, Now I beseech those that read this sefer, that they be not discouraged for these calamities, but that they judge those punishments not to be for destruction, but for a chastening of our nation. And this is after all the horrible tortures that the Maccabeans had gone through. <laughs> We're going to read that uh, first Maccabees here uh, at, during Oneg. Okay, now we're going to get to my favorite part. It's about the Gilgal, returning to the Gilgal, returning to the threshold. So just so you know, this is our prophet portion. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. The Targum says, renew the kingship there. Now, if you haven't studied, if you haven't seen that they are finding these Gilgals that are giant footprints in all the places that the tabernacle went through the land. And I put the list of them. The one in the picture is Berhat Esh Sha'ab. Then there's one at Ibal, El Unuk, uh, Masua, Rafit, and Sha'ab Ramani. These are the locations that you would see this giant footprint that's the size of a football field. A big, I mean, can you all see that this is a footprint? It's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, here is where the big toe bone is coming out here. And all of this, port, this ring here coming around. And then you have a hill here. Just an amazing picture of a footprint. Now, in this circle here, you would have the threshold, the goren, where the, the threshing, or I should say, uh, I guess it could be over here, at one of these other circles. But in this footprint, there is a threshing floor where the wheat is sifted. And this is, remember, because I showed you last week where uh, I think I have it here. Uh, Genesis. I might have it on another page. Anyway, so he told David to buy the, the temple mount, and he said, this will be the threshold, and you shall put the altar there. This is the altar. Now, you're going to see something amazing about the city of David here in a second. I'm going to read to you uh, Joshua 4.19. The people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month 
and encamped at the Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. Here's Jericho. Now watch this. 1 Samuel 7.15 Samuel judged Israel as long as he lived. Each year he made the rounds of Bethel, the Gilgal. Bethel, the Gilgal. So there's two locations of a Gilgal. Okay. Now here's the one near Shechem. Deuteronomy 11.30 Are they not across the Jordan, west of the way, toward the sunset, in the land of the Canaanites, who live in the Arabah, opposite Gilgal, beside the Oaks of Moray? They said, well, that doesn't tell me anything. What's the Oaks of Moray? Well, you'd have to go to Genesis 12, 6 to read, Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the Oak of Moray. Now the Canaanite was in the land. So Shechem and the Oaks of Moray are tied together. So now you've got all of these places where a Gilgal stood. Now, what is a Gilgal? How many of you know what Gilgal means? A circle of stone. A circle of stone. Or did you have something else to add? A circle of stones. Much like what you see in the hill here of this footprint. Oh, this is gonna this is gonna get good. Bear with me a minute. Job twenty three eleven. My foot has held to the footprint his his path I have kept and have not departed. The footprint, the Gogol, is where the words are, where the voice came. It's where the, the memory is. It's where the living water is. It's where the path uh, that we're to walk is. It's where the light is. That's the footprint. And Job knew what it was. Gogol, a name meaning a circle of stones, which was used for a number of locations within Israel. So the Gilgal near Jericho, a location to the east of Jericho, where Joshua and the Israelites camped after crossing the Jordan. It was there that Joshua set up the 12 stones he had taken from the dry bed of the Jordan. There that the Israelites were circumcised in preparation for the conquest. There that they ate the Passover and the manna stopped. The Gibeonites made their treaty with the Israelites at Gilgal. And it was from Gilgal that Joshua marched to Gibeon's rescue. Joshua returned to Gogol after completing his southern conquest. And it was there that Caleb requested that he be given the hill country of Hebron. At the Gilgal, the man who is a non-Israelite says, I want Hebron as my inheritance. Because God said, you get first pick. And he asked for it at the Gilgal. At the circle of stones. At the place where the footprint is. Why? Because the footprint represented who? His footprint is here on the earth. His foot. Oh, it's going to get good. General boundary of David's city, Jebusite Jerusalem of David, uh, David's day, was located on the southeast hill and was shaped somewhat like a giant human footprint, the city of David. The enclosed area was about 11 acres, as excavations by Kathleen Kenyon have demonstrated. David built northward, constructing a new palace for himself in the area known as the Ophel, and buying the threshing floor of Arunah, the Jebusite, at this place where the giant footprint is. Ooh-wee. On the latter, Solomon was later to build the temple. Then, as Naaman Avigad has shown in his excavations of the Jewish quarter, Israelite settlement expanded onto the western hill in the 8th uh, to 7th centuries. But excavations have shown that the eastern wall followed the crest of the hill instead of the standing partway down the slope, as the Jebusite wall had. 
the wall or the western part of the city was not included in Nehemiah's reconstruction. David's city, a giant human footprint where the tabernacle rested. Just coincidence. Just, just coincidence. I mean, just, 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 you know. Archaeological location, Zion constituted a formidable natural fortress that the Jebusites inhabited before Jerusalem was taken by David. A Gihon spring, the virgin fountain below the eastern rock encampment, and in Rogel's Job's well at the junction of the Kidron and Hinnom valleys. Now listen to what it says here a little lower. It says, The ladder of progress in Palestine, evidence brought to light as a result of excavations of Sir Charles Warren, Clermont, Ganual, uh, all of these men, show that the city that David captured was like a huge human footprint. I've now given you two references that people that have excavated, who were there, are saying that to them, the city of David was a giant footprint just like you see happening over at Jericho, Shechem, and all these other places. Coincidental. And we're going to look at a few words that are associated with this foot and footprint. One of them is this akev which you get, a, it's a root word where you get Yaakov. Okay, Yaakov was the heel, having to do with heel, the heel grabber, right? This term occurs about 13 times, meaning heel, in reference to people and animals, as well as the related to a sense of a footprint, a mark of a heel, in all but two of these contexts. Literal references to a human heel are found in Genesis and Job and Jeremiah. Concerning animals, both refer to horses' hooves, Human footsteps are indicated in Psalm 56 and 89. Akev is also found in several metaphorical contexts. Psalm 41 employs the expression, lift up one's heel against, which conveys opposition and hostility. This particular text refers to betrayal by a friend. Genesis 3.15 contains the highly significant expression relating to the bruising of the heel of the woman's seed. Here it points to the lesser injury sustained by the woman's child from the attack by the serpent. The latter will be destroyed, but the seed of the woman will overcome the assault. It is a veiled allusion to the cosmic battle between Christ and Hasatan, in which the former will achieve a consummate victory. Akhev is used anthropomorphically, where it signifies the footsteps of God. Now, you need to catch that. It refers to the footsteps of God. God has placed his footsteps, a path that he walks, a path that he travels. It's called his word. It's called his memory. It's called the living fountains of water. It's called Yeshua, our Messiah. And he placed it at these Gilgals so that men should come to the Gilgal, to the threshing floor where the blessing is, so they could receive instruction, so they could follow and serve, so they could worship and obey and follow the path of righteousness and truth, which is from above. His footsteps, not ours. But man over and over wants to follow man's footsteps. He says, ah, I'm following God, I'm following God. Oh man, that path looks good. Here I go. Uh, I get back on the track, following man, I'm following good. Oh boy, look at that path. That's, that's a different shoe print right there. And this is what happens with mankind. The other footprints look really good. They get tired of following the, the, the ancient path, the ancient footprints that are from long ago. Yes. As mankind, 
We have a tendency to follow our own rules and be a loose cannon. We're like, I don't want to be under the control of some, some thing I don't <laughs> know about and something I can't see. I want to do my own thing. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know that there's someone out there that graded us and he could take you down at any moment. So you better watch what you say. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Genesis 25, 26 says, Afterward his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Yaakov. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. His, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Ezekiel 43.7 says, And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the sole of my feet. My throne, the altar, where the ark is, and it is the place of the sole footprint of my foot. Just coincidental, right? That he's saying things that match what we're seeing on earth. This photo to the right is the place. Well, I should, well before I say that. This, the place of the soles of my feet that's referenced in 43.7. In the passageway from the portico to the entrance hall of the 10th century B.C., Ain Dara Temple, which is the photo to the right, in northern Syria, a pair of enormous bare footprints is carved on the floor, followed by a single footprint beyond. Another single footprint is carved on the threshold between the entrance hall. So here's the threshold in, in here, the threshold um, between the entrance hall and the next hall. If these dimensions were translated into the height, the individual would be over 60 feet tall. These footprints undoubtedly represent the deity to whom the temple was dedicated, probably Baal Hadad, striding into his abode toward the throne room. Now, how many of you know that our God says he's coming in through a certain gate? So his feet are going to trod into a certain gate. And he's coming in there because this is going to be the place he's going to dwell for forever. That's right. Psalm 132.7, let us enter into his tent. Let us bow down to his footstool. Lamentations, now Yahweh has detested the congregation of Zion. In his fierce anger, he threw down from the heavens to the earth the glory of Israel, and he did not remember the temple, which was his footstool. First Chronicles, then David rose up upon his feet and said, Receive from me, my brethren, my people, my brethren, the house of Israel, and my people, the proselytes who are in their cities. I was willing with my whole heart to build a resting place for the ark of the covenant of Yahweh and for the footstool of the throne of the glory of Yahweh, and I intended to build it. David knows all of the people. We've lost the understanding that God's place where he dwells, where his word is, where his ark is, where he has decided to make decisions on how we live, is his footstool. It's his footprint. It's the place where the path is given to mankind of how they're to walk. And we need to return to the Gogol, as they should have done in Samuel. Instead of asking for another king, they should have been going to the footstool they should have been going to the Gogol. They should have been going to the threshing floor. That's where they should have been going instead of looking at their own heart and what everybody else was doing. You know, we as a people, we're worried about what, what are those people doing over there? What are they doing over in Israel? What are they doing over in uh, Thailand? 
What are they doing over in Australia? People, let's get focused on our own self, then our own house, and this congregation. Let's get real good at that first before we even worry about anything else. Let's get real good at that. Let's please the Most High in dealing with what's, what we actually can have a difference in. Because I can't make any difference in Australia. Now let's look at this word evil, aven. It's a general word for wrongdoing because the crimes described here are social in nature. It seems not to have the primary sense of idolatry in this context. The BDB defines akaba, trodden, as follow at the heel. Akaba, follow at the heel. It is used in Hosea of Jacob supplanting his brother. The word has the sense of supplanting or overreach, over, overreaching. In Jeremiah 9, in each instance, in the call, it has the hostile sense. It is best to see Akaba as a dominative of Akev, which we just looked at, heel or footprint, after the pattern of a passive adjective. This gives it the sense of trodden or tracked. Now listen to me. Akev denotes a footprint in Psalm 56, 7. Madam, with blood, and men indicates the source of the action described by the adjective, meaning the blood and the footprint should show us what we're to do, how we're to live. If I take the blood or the life in me, I have his character. His character is in me. Now I'm going to walk because that's how he walks. I'm, we, what does it say in the New Testament? We should walk as he walked because his character, his blood, his life is in me, and I'm transformed. I'm on the, I'm on the Messiah's footsteps. How many of you have seen the picture of the sand of the footprints in the sand. I mean, if people would have known all of this, how much more meaningful would that have been if everybody would have understood how that, what, how that tied to the things in the Scriptures? Who? We're going to look at one more word, I think. It's this Greek word, ichnos. It denotes the phenomenal of steps in the context of walking, and the steps of are following or imitating one's example. Here's your New Testament references. It means footprint and may be used either for an individual impression on the ground or for a continuous line of, su of such impressions, a trail. Even when the word is used metaphorically with reference to the spiritual side of human life, the plastic conception remains the same. Our word is generally the trace left by someone's conduct or journey through life. The Messiah's conduct and journey through life are the footsteps, are the footprints that we're to follow. Thus Paul states at 2 Corinthians 12.18 that his own conduct towards the community in the matter of money agrees with that of Titus, since they have both followed the trail which was set before them as responsible apostles, and which must be visible to the community as well. In the same spirit and walk in the same steps. Paul speaks very pregnantly, but figuratively of, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of your father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised, with whom Gentile believers associate themselves with. The faith of Abraham did not pass without leaving a trace. It has left an impress in the sand. If we cannot perceive his actual faith in the footsteps, we can perceive its nature and reality. These tracks left by the faith of Abraham serve as bearings to believers who come through the footsteps. 
The faith of Abraham becomes accessible, in essence, to the Gentiles, the ones who were cut off, the ones who were cast aside. They've now had access to the faith and steps of Abraham as well as their Messiah. Ooh, man. One other word, I think. Assure. The noun occurring nine times denoting steps in the general sense of ways or goings in relation to one's lifestyle in most cases. This meaning is also predicated of God, of whom it is said that His steps, His ways, His plans never falter. Meaning, I don't have to worry about that step being messed up. I don't have to worry about coming to a step and then it's now the, the toes are facing me instead of going the other way. That doesn't happen with God. I don't have to be worried about walking in his steps and all of a sudden one of the steps is like this. No. His gate, his gate is the same. It won't change. I can count on it to be the same. I can close my eyes and once I get comfortable in the gate, once I get comfortable in the pace and the distance of the step, I can close my eyes and put each foot in exactly the same spot that his foot was. And that's what we're to be like. We got a couple of hands raised. Yes. While we're on this topic about um, being on the right path, <laughs> you know, this walk is hard. And there will always be this voice that's like, hey, don't you want to, you know, get off this path and have a much easier time? You know, doesn't the doesn't that doesn't that place to the right seem uh, doesn't that place to the right seem nice? You know, why don't you go over there and stop being on this straight and narrow path? What what's it gonna do for you? It's only torture. <laughs> it's up to you whether you obey that voice. Okay. Amen. So you gotta you gotta stay on the straight and narrow path if yep. you wanna if you wanna know who God truly is. Boy, are we glad that there are steps to see. Yes, Polly. So to make this short, somebody had shared an incredible testimony with us last week about a spiritual journey they've been on. And to sum it up, I see a lot of what they had shared in what you're speaking today, which is the Father had showed them a correlation between how the soil and the nutrients that are there provide the plant to be able to grow and flourish Amen. and correlated to what the father showed the individual that our praise and our worship our lifestyle is those nutrients <laughs> that grow the kingdom that expand the kingdom yes. that grow the throne in not only our personal lives but in the greater capacity. So I see that as these places where he placed his foot, they were places where praise, worship was glorified and it continued to expand the kingdom. And the lesson that we re had taken away from that is that it seems to be in the Hebraic community, a lot of time is spent on pointing out others what they did wrong. I think if we turned that time and energy into a lifestyle of praise and worship and just moving forward how we could grow the kingdom instead of looking at what others are doing wrong let's just grow the kingdom in our own life and in turn it will expand the greater kingdom and his throne amen. and his footprint amen. where he takes it. amen amen yes that's 
Absolutely right. To go along with what Paula was saying, too, and this is where the Father just led me, Galatians 3, um, we have to be on that straight and narrow path, and in order to do that, uh, we have to stop looking at other people's issues and look inwardly at our own. This Amen. is what the Father even told us to do. Take that beam out of your eye when you're looking at the speck in someone else's. Uh, but I'm going to read this, Galatians 3, 10. For as many are of works of Torah and are under the curse, for it has been written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all that has been written in the book of Torah and to do them. And that no one is declared right by Torah before Elohim is clear, the righteous shall live by belief. So <laughs> faith without, you know, you, you got to have faith. It's impossible to please the Father without it. And that's how we live by this Torah. If it's not Torah, you shouldn't be doing it. That's right. Amen. Well said. Okay. Over against Gagal, not the southern Gagal between Jericho and Jordan, which received its name in the first time, but probably the Gagal mentioned in Joshua 9.6, very frequently in the history of Samuel, Elijah, and Elisha, which is only about 12 and a half miles from Gerizim, in a southern direction and has been preserved the large village just south of Sinil. And so we were at Mount Gerizim. Some amazing things happened to us on Mount Gerizim. I've shared with some of you what happened. And now I have a whole new, another testimony to add what happened to me at the footprint of God. Very, very significant. Okay. Um, this other word, paterna, in the New Testament, where Yeshua refers to Judas opposing him, lifting up his heel against him. Um, John 13, 18, I am not speaking of all of you. No, I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Acts 19, 23, about that time, there occurred no small, small disturbance concerning the way. I took this down from Ralphie's portion. Ralphie's talking in his in-depth study about the way. What's happened over in Acts, they're talking about this, this group of people called the way. And here God's put on my mind of this Gilgal, meaning the footprint, which is the way. Here we have the way, the walk, the, the, the way a person uh, 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 conducts his life. This is what is called the way because it's all associated with the path and the footprint. Very, very connected. And I want to close with this. As we're returning to the Gilgal and the threshold, whatsoever he saith to you, do it, was his master's wise speech, or mother's wise speech. And it is the children's wise rule. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. O blessed shall they be above many of whom it shall be said, these are they that have not defiled their garment. These are they which follow the lamb, which the, the footprints follow the path of the lamb wherever he goes. Some of his followers are not very scrupulous. They love him. It is not for us to judge them. Rather, we place ourselves among them and share in the censure. But happiest of all the happy are they who see the footprint, the print of that foot that once was pierced with the nail, and put their foot down where he placed it, and then again, in the selfsame mark, follow where he trod, till they climb at, le at last to the throne. Keep close to the Messiah. 
take care of his little precepts unto the end. Remember, whosoever shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Do not peril being least in the heavenly kingdom, though it is better to be that than the greatest in the kingdom of darkness. Would you stand with me? Father, I thank you so much for the words that you've given us today. I thank you that you've shown us that there is a footprint that you've placed on this earth. You have made your mark. You have shown us the way. And Father, it's not only just in your tabernacle, the place where your word and your glory resides, but it's in the living words from you that we have that is before our eyes in your Torah that we get to walk in those steps. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for enlightening us. Thank you for showing us the way of light and out of the kingdom of darkness. As we're remembering this season of Hanukkah, which is about light in the darkness, we thank you, Father, that your footprints do are illuminated by the Torah and that it is those lighted paths that we walk therein. Keep us far from the darkness. Keep the evil inclination far from us. May we be concerned only about our own self and our own house and this community. We give you praise and glory. In Yahushua's name, amen. Now we get to say Shabbat Shalom! Shabbat Thank you all here. Have a blessed rest of your Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom.